This is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Brandon Schultz, and joining me this week to talk about the Seahawks 22-14 win over the Broncos in the week one of preseason action, Mr. Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, how you doing? I'm uh, good, thanks, Brandon. It's good to uh, to have some football to talk about, and uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing how preseason will develop for the Seahawks after a good start against Denver. Yes, football is here, and I have to know how excited you were because this is gonna this is gonna be a gauge for for any Americans who don't know that that you live overseas in England. Uh, how late was this first preseason game on for you? What time did it come on, and did you stay up for it? Okay, so the game started at three o'clock in the morning over here. So uh, I did. I, this, I have stayed up for these games in the past. In fact, last year um, when they, I think they played the Chargers at a similar time. I actually went to bed and then woke up for the game and then went to sleep again afterwards. Um, but in the in the subsequent twelve months, my working situation has changed, which means I have to drive for an hour. Uh, after ah. commute an hour to to work and back again in the evening, so it was not convenient to stay up that late on a. <laughs> I think it was a Thursday night, wasn't it? So uh, if there are any games over, taking place over the weekend, then yes, I will. I will definitely stay up and watch them. But uh, for this one, I actually watched it in the morning, so okay. on, on Game Pass. So uh, I didn't stay up, but uh, yeah, three o'clock in the morning, and I've done it in the past for a preseason game. It was. I. It was just a curiosity of mine. I'm, I'm gauging your fandom now, and now that I know that your job <laughs> situation's changed, I see the Seahawks have taken a back seat. But that's fine. And uh, <laughs> we got the Vikings game coming up on a Saturday. So uh, you'll be good there, Rob. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah, preseason week one action. I, In a way, it's it's fun to get excited for because it is the first game. But, you know, when we knew that Russell Wilson wasn't going to get the start and, and really it's not that big of a deal because you usually see him in there for the very first drive and he comes out. So it wasn't that much of a shock to see that he was not going to have any action and that Geno Smith was going to see a majority of the first team action with the Seahawks. I guess if you wanted to just sleep through the first half, maybe it would have worked out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the greatest first half. And I think that there was one big positive from the game and that was that Seattle's depth looked a lot better in this game than it did a year ago. If you remember last year, they lost all four of their preseason games and it was a, it was a poor four games and they started the regular season. 0 and two as well. It felt like an age to watch the Seahawks win, and yet here we were. I, you know, I don't think the Seahawks were quite as sharp in that first half against Denver, who were starting players like Von Miller in the game. Right. Um, but as the as the game went on, you could see clearly that the Seahawks had better depth than the Denver Broncos, which I think is a big positive. It's the one thing that they've not had for a couple of years now is that great depth. I think there are really competitive positions within this team now. I think safety looks strong. Linebacker, they might have the biggest, the best uh, group of linebackers in the league. Uh, receivers, clearly, clearly a lot of um, competition that's going on there. And I think the other thing is that they've got a couple of quarterbacks now. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Seahawks felt a bit more comfortable giving Russell Wilson a night off is that in the past, I don't think their backups have been up to much. And I, I think they feared the that they would be wasted games for a lot of the offensive players because it's hard to judge offensive rookies, for example, when they've got a quarterback they don't trust throwing in the ball. And when they've had... Um, you know, Austin Davis last year in a seventh round rookie throwing the, the passes for, for the majority of the game. It is quite hard to evaluate offensive players. And I think with Geno Smith and Paxton Lynch in the team now, it's given them an opportunity to say we're confident to see those guys play the bulk of the snaps. And then we're still able to get a positive reading on, on who the offensive uh, players are that we might want to keep and what the competition is like. So I, I'd, I'd be very comfortable seeing Russell Wilson sit out the next three games as well. And, you know, maybe get a, a series here and there 
just keep him healthy, get him into the regular season. Because I think with Lynch and with Smith, we can judge these offensive players. And I think we're going to be able to do that over the next two or three weeks. And I feel comfortable now even saying that, well, let's see what Paxton Lynch can do now in the starting role. And I think it kind of helps out with Geno Smith finding out that he has a cyst in his knee. He's going to potentially be out because of surgery with that. There was initially some thought that he might be back in for the Vikings game. The Seahawks do sign another quarterback this week. So going into that second preseason game. So we might get to see a little bit more Paxton Lynch. And I'm curious about him, too, because I did not have high hopes for Paxton Lynch. But going up against his former team in the Broncos, I think it gave him some of that extra motivation. And that did kind of help him, I think, in the minds of a lot of Seahawks fans and saying, oh, hey, wait a second. Maybe Paxton Lynch isn't a bum. But I always have that hesitation because a third string quarterback or what he's currently third string on the depth chart for the Seahawks and going up against other third stringers, you know, potentially four stringers in that first preseason game. And you expect a guy who's going into his fourth year in the NFL, you know, two really full seasons, you expect him to have a pretty good game against that caliber of, of players on the other side of the football. So while I was hesitant about him going into the game, I think I'm still a little hesitant uh, for him. And I'm just going to have to see a little bit more out of him in preseason week two, I think, for, for me to get excited. Yeah, I think that's understandable. You know, you, you don't want it to just be a flash in the pan. You know, a one-week thing when he was played in the second half against Denver's third and fourth stringers, you know, guys that are not going to make Denver's roster when the regular season begins. You want to see him do it earlier in a preseason game to sort of have that extra confidence in him. And I think this week's going to be a good opportunity for that. I would imagine that Russell Wilson will take a series and then Paxton Lynch will take over. And then if Geno Smith is healthy enough to play in that game, then he will maybe play some of the second half. Uh, or maybe JT Barrett will play instead of Smith if they want to hold him out for this week. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think Lynch deserves the opportunity to to face the better players earlier in the game when Wilson steps out. And let's see what he can do. You know, I liked him a lot when he was at Memphis and he elevated that team. One of the things you want to look at at quarterbacks when they're in college is, especially when they're not at a, an Ohio State or an Alabama or somebody like or Clemson, for example, you know, if they're with a team that traditionally doesn't compete and then they end up being competitive, being ranked in the top 15 or whatever, because of their presence, essentially, then you you take notice of that and you want to see them elevate these smaller teams. That is what Paxton Lynch did with Memphis. They were unbeaten for a long stretch. In his final year there, they beat a very highly rated Ole Miss team that season. It kind of fell apart towards the end. But you could see there was an awful lot to like about Paxton Lynch. And I think the main reason it failed in Denver is because of his attitude. You know, I think the celebrity lifestyle the not paying too much attention to studying tape, the fact that at Memphis and in high school, I think he's on the record talking about this. Everything was done for him. You know, the calling of the plays, he didn't really have to watch tape. He was kind of mollycoddled through the offense at both teams that he played for previously. And I don't think at Denver, he was a, aware of the amount of work that goes into be a success. And I think he's aware of that now. He knows this last chance saloon for him. And I think we should all hope that it works out for Paxton Lynch, because if it does, then there's the possibility here that he could end up being a fairly long-term, decent backup with first-round potential playing behind Russell Wilson. You don't ever want to see him on the field, but it would be nice to have some longer-term security, a younger guy that they can build and grow and mold with behind Russell Wilson because they've not had that for a number of years. Well, I'm curious what else stood out to you in this preseason, Rob, because I know for me going into this game, it was the question of the defensive line and if they would be able to bring pressure 
with the the Seahawks defensive line. And the one thing that jumped out to me was the way Ken Norton Jr. was using the defensive backs in this game. You know, whether it was Deshaun Shedd getting the two points with the safety uh, and, and or Ugo Amadi coming off the edge. I think we saw a little Marquise Blair in there as well. And you have to think that it might be a little bit of a preview going into the season that even if they don't have the talent up front to get a lot of pressure, Ken Norton's going to find a way, whether it's with the defensive backs, whether it's with the linebackers and and get quarterback pressure that way. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit alarming after the game when Pete Carroll mentioned that they were specifically looking in this game to find out who the blitzers were. Mm. You know, that they they were testing certain guys to see who could provide an impact there because I think it was an ad, an admission uh, by Carroll that they're going to have to generate some some pressure and some sacks in different ways this year. They're not going to be able to rely on Frank Clark screaming off the edge. Hopefully Ziggy Ansah can replace Clark, but we, there's a question mark there because of Ansah's shoulder and, and how impactful he can be. His career in Detroit was pretty inconsistent, had some amazing years and had some years where he was he was pretty quiet as well. And then you look at the rest of the line, there isn't really anybody else who you can sort of really feel confident is going to provide a consistent rush. Obviously, Jaron Reed's not going to be there for six games. You're hoping that Jacob Martin, Jacob Martin played well in this game, but is he going to be more than sort of that, that guy who has a, a couple of impact snaps a game rather than someone who is providing consistent pressure? LJ Collier, we've not seen anything of because of his injury. Rasheem Green still hasn't, I think he was graded very well by PFF for this game, but I think that was more of his run defense and setting the edge rather than offering anything as a pass rusher. And then, you know, you're hoping that Quinton Jeff and people like that can provide some pressure but overall it's not a good outlook it's it's probably the weakest area on Seattle's roster is the is the pass rush so they're going to have to find ways to do it but, you know that said you know the way that Deshaun Shed came flying in and got that safety was a positive and you know they have been a little bit more creative with their blitzing in the last year you know they were certainly last year they had some some ways of creating pressure and I think they will try and do that again and even with Frank Clark last year they didn't have a high, a high number of sacks, a huge number of sacks. They were not one of the top-ranked teams in terms of pass rush. So that might they might end up having a similar production in 2019, and that is going to be an area of need. And I think it is still a big target area. You know, if we're looking at college football this year and trying to find potential future Seahawks, we still need to be looking at pass rushers because when the Seahawks were at their best, they had Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, and they'd have Bruce Irvin, and then they'd have either Frank Clark or Chris Clemens on the roster. They had a great rotation of top-quality pass rushers, and now there's just a lot of question marks there. So I think, yeah, you know, that was a, an area to look at there in terms of how they were going to create pressure. I think for me, the depth, the fact that the depth was better in the second half was the major positive. And then some of the other things that you, you kind of can highlight is the way the receivers played. I think the young receivers played very well. Obviously, Marquise Blair created some headlines of the way that he played. And I think it's good to see even Hugo Amadi, you know, some of these rookie players really stand out and show, yeah, you know what, we can have an impact for the Seahawks in 2019. Well, I think one of the other things that I know Seahawks fans were looking for was who is going to stand out at wide receiver. And I think we may have our next case in Williams and Jazz Ferguson. I don't know if he's going to make the team, but hearing what he did in that mock game against uh, that, the Seahawks played the the Saturday before the preseason game. And then he had, you know, a nice 21 yard catch in this game against the Broncos. So I feel like he's standing out a little bit. Uh, I know everybody was excited to see DK Men- Metcalf, he got on the field. He had a catch. He had one just go off his fingertips deep. You wish he would have held on to that that football. And uh, we got to see John Ursua with a nice 23-yard gain as well. Yeah, I think with Jazz Ferguson, I, I wrote about this yesterday. I think one of the things we have to remember is competition is, is the key to everything that Pete Carroll wants to do, obviously. You know, it's the foundation of, of his uh, program. 
But at the same time, competing also means in the front office and trying to make sure that you keep the guys together that you want to keep around. Now, if they decide that they're going to cut, for example, Gary Jennings, who I believe had his best day at training camp today on Monday, uh, and and after the uh, practice, Russell Wilson admitted he needed a good camp because he's a good day because he's not had one so far. Um, but let's put it this way: if they cut Jennings because he's a former fourth round pick and because of what he did at West Virginia and in the senior bowl, it's absolutely guaranteed that somebody else will pick him up. You know, one of the teams who maybe not got a great depth of receiver will, will take him and they will work with him and they will see if there's something there. He will be gone. If they cut him, he's gone. If they cut Jazz Ferguson, there's a, there's a chance that he could make it on the practice squad. This is a guy that was kicked out of LSU. It is very difficult to get kicked out of LSU. It's probably the hardest school in college football <laughs> to get kicked out of. And he, and he was. And there were character concerns. He went undrafted. The Seahawks signed him as an undrafted free agent. He was like 15 pounds overweight when they signed him. So again, it's not a good look for the guy. And in fairness to him, he's come back, he's lost weight, and he's had a real impact in camp in the mock game and then against the Denver Broncos as well. But there's a lot of things at play there that would make teams just pause for thought, you know, do we really want to put him on a 53-man roster? Look, there might be some some teams, particularly in the NFC West, that think, oh, you know, we'll just snatch that player because he's had a very good time in, in preseason. We want to upset the Seahawks a little bit there. But there might be others that just think, we don't want anything to do with him. You know, our intel told us he's an undrafted guy. He's not even on our board. We're not even considering him. The Seahawks have given him an opportunity and I think if, if he didn't make the 53-man roster there's a lot more chance of him making the practice squad than Gary Jennings for example but I, I, I would also say that I think that there is room for a stash and people are talking as if it's an absolute nailed on fact that there'll be six receivers taken uh, for the 53-man roster and then obviously Jaron Brown, Tyler Lockett, David Moore and DK Metcalf you know I think they're four locks and it's who are the last two and you know you could say well is it Jennings and Osua is could Jazz Ferguson get in there? I think if they wanted to keep all seven, they could. Mm. You know, there's usually one player that they keep as a red shirt anyway. He, you know, whether it's Christian Sicoli back in the day, Benson Mayoa, um, George Fant was a, a red shirt player who was just sort of kept on the roster and protected because they thought they were going to lose him. So they've usually ha- saved one spot for a guy they just want to protect and they want to keep. So if they if they don't think Ferguson's going to make the practice squad, but they still want to keep Osua and Jennings, they'll just do it. And they're not kept seven receivers in the past, but they'll find a way to do it. And I think that's something to remember here. So if Ferguson continues to perform and if Osua continues to perform and if Jennings shows a little bit more, even if he doesn't, they might actually keep all three of those players. I think it's certainly possible and something they'll consider. Well, I think we got the the wide receivers covered and it, I am curious to see if they're going to go to seven. Sometimes they only keep five, though, but with a lot with so many young players, it does make sense to potentially have more players there, especially when on the offensive line, it feels like they've solidified so many positions. And I mean, that was even that way going into preseason week one, which is such a difference for a Seahawks team that than what we're used to in the past. And they may have guys that they might be looking to trade at the end of the preseason to pick up and, you know, the conditional seventh or sixth round pick uh, based on some of the depth they have on the offensive line. Uh, let, let's talk about offensive line for, for just a minute, because, you know, Ethan Posick was in there at left guard. You see a move to, to center uh, with the second team. Um, it, it does seem like they do have a lot of depth, you know, especially when you have Joey Hunt still on the team, you know, a guy like Jordan Roos still on the team, uh, Jordan Simmons and, uh, George Fant, unfortunately goes down with an injury in this game. Uh, it sounds like he has a high ankle sprain is going to be out several weeks. So I don't know what they end up doing with him in terms of his roster spot going into the season. But, uh, other than that, it does, it feels like there's so much depth at the offensive line now, which it, it seems crazy. 
Yeah, it, it feels like there's depth and it also feels like there's quality. And I think there is at certain positions. And I think you also, there's a clear identity and it's actually taking on the identity of the team. You know, they've gone big. And I think this this just makes perfect sense. You know, they want to be a physical team that runs the ball. And now they've got these absolute monsters in the front, which are going to move people out of the way and enable them to do that. It's no longer sort of that more athletic finesse style, that pure zone blocking scheme that was being run under Tom Cable. It's now more of a physical you know, smashy in the face kind of style, which Solari used at San Francisco against the Seahawks back in the day, you know, when they were, it was Harbour against Carroll and in, in Seattle against San Francisco for the, uh, for the NFC championship, you know, that, that is the sort of the identity of that 49ers offensive line was it was big and it was strong and it was powerful. And the Seahawks have taken that on now. And I think starting from left to right, it, it's a really good group with Brown at left tackle, solidifying things down. I think that was a great trade with hindsight because it's just solved the problem there. And Dwayne Brown's not, you know, he's not Joe Thomas. He's not the kind of guy who never gets beat, but he is just a really solid guy who's not going to get the quarterback killed. And you can rely on him. I think that Upati is a great pickup for left guard and, and will provide a consistent force there and a compliment to DJ Fluker at right guard. I think Justin Britt, I, I, I think he's underrated. I think that he's provided a really consistent, solid center for the Seahawks. And, you know, just ask other teams like the New York Jets how much a, a good, consistent, solid center would be. And, and actually, if you ask, Many NFL fans across the league to name five centers. I don't think many would be able to do it. So the fact that the Seahawks have got one who is pretty decent, I think, is a positive for them. And I think Jermaine Effetti took a step forward last year, and hopefully he can continue to do that. He's in a contract year, and and he fits the kind of size and physicality that they look for. And as you mentioned, they've got the depth. I, I'm not sure about Posick. I thought it was an ugly look when there was the, oh, yeah. the play in the first half against Denver when his guy drove him deep, so deep into the backfield that when Geno Smith tried to throw a screen pass it was almost picked off by the defensive lineman I don't think I've ever seen that before and, and that's been post problem since he came into the league was strength you know in, at LSU he was technical was very good at centre at, at making sure that he just kept did enough to keep his guy away from creating pressure in the NFL level he's being overpowered so that's something he's got to continue to work on Jordan Simmons showed a lot last year as, as a potential right guard backup for DJ Fluker Jamarco Jones is healthy now could end up being the backup tackle and I think the fact that they have George Fan who can play tight end and tackle is a major point and plus and that that's it's it's things like that Brandon which could enable them to stash players whether it's a, an extra receiver whether it's an extra defensive back um which could uh, it, it frees up the ability to do that when you've got a guy who can play two positions like Fant and there are others who can do that too I mean you can run through I mean they may not keep a, a fullback Nick Ballard they could move on and say okay we'll, we'll just ask Nick Vanette to play a bit of extra fullback for us. I mean, they, they've done that in the past and, and there are ways of creating space. If they only keep one quarterback to back up Russell Wilson instead of keeping Smith and Lynch, then it creates another spot and, and they can manipulate this roster to keep the guys that they want to keep. And I think that flexibility you've got with fans and, and some of them, Posey who can play guard and centre, they might be able to just find a way to stash certain players on the practice squad they know they're going to be able to keep and then stash certain players on the 53-man roster that they know will lose if they don't put them on the 53-man uh, roster list. Well, you bring up Nick Ballore's name, and gosh, between him and the offensive line, uh, I think those two uh, position groups had majority of the penalties, whether it was on special teams or just on the offensive line, and, and that was probably one of my biggest disappointments from this game. But there's one other disappointment that I want to get back to. Uh, I want to take a quick break. I'll come back, and uh, we'll, we'll get into what was what we found disappointing from this game.
Rob Staten joining me to talk about the Seahawks 22 to 14 win over the Denver Broncos in preseason week one. And I wanted to bring up my my biggest disappointment and penalties. Okay, I I can kind of forgive some of the penalties. It is week one of the preseason. I know it's going to happen. It was it was a minor disappointment. But the biggest disappointment to me was the running back depth. And I I knew going into it, it was going to be tough because CJ Procise you know, was sitting out once again. That wasn't so surprising. But J.D. McKissick also out. Chris Carson sat out this first game. Travis Homer was out. And so we got to see Rashad Penny in the first half. I felt like when I saw the box score and he only had... Uh, he only had six carries for 15 yards, two and a half yard average. I thought he had more, but I think there were there were some of those that were called back due to penalty. So, so maybe that's why I feel like he did better. And plus, he had that one nice screen catch for 27 yards. But overall, just the running back, back depth. I expected to see a lot of Bo Scarborough. He gets his hand hurt, so he only has seven carries, 32 yards. And then Xavier Turner who apparently was just introduced. Pete Carroll said he just introduced him to the team after the, the preseason game because he had just signed on the day before he ends up being the leading rusher for the team. 13 carries, 42 yards. Yeah, I think it's a fair point about the running backs there. And, um, you know, it, it's funny for a team that uh, wants to run the ball as much as the Seahawks do, you you kind of feel like you want to see them three or four guys deep at that position. And last year, it was great for them because Chris Carson, I think Chris is always going to miss some games. I think he will miss some games in 2019. I think he's never been a, a full season guy, either in college or in the NFL so far. He will miss the odd game. And I think it's important that they have got some depth there. And then last year, there was Rashad Penny. There was Mike Davis. Um, and, and Davis has obviously moved on to Chicago. And I think they will feel that loss of him there because he was a very consistent number three um, who could take some number one snaps if needs be. And you look at the rest of it and you, you know, I think Travis Homer um, was not a player that I studied too much in college because he did not fit the the ideal size that the Seahawks generally go for at running back. But then when I actually put on the Miami tape uh, during the summer to have a look at Travis Homer, he was one of the most impressive guys from this this rookie class. I mean, he was just exactly the kind of player the Seahawks have gone for at running back. He doesn't have that second gear. You know, when he gets into the open field, he's often chased down. He's not an electric speed guy, and I think that's probably why he lasted as long as he did. Uh, but he's such a tough physical runner will we'll get extra yards after contact. He's a fantastic special teamer as well. So it's a shame that he's not healthy because I'd have been really interested to see what he could do in preseason. I think I've thought coming in that he could be like a preseason star for the Seahawks and people would feel really good about him. So hopefully he gets healthy quickly. And I think he will make the roster. Uh, but then you're sort of looking at who else is going to make it. And you're right, Bo Scarber got injured. Xavier Turner did a very nice job, but whether or not he's going to stick on on the actual roster, CJ Prosize, you couldn't trust the you know walk down the stairs for breakfast in the morning, let alone as get far as Prosize you know, goes at this point. I, I feel like the Seahawks like just get him back to health, so that way you don't have to carry him as injured on the roster for the entire season. And, and well, maybe they do because he's still on his rookie contract. Maybe they have to pay it anyway. So so maybe it doesn't even matter. I I just. I, I'm confused by CJ Prozice because either he is the single most unlucky person on the planet uh, in terms of injuries, or the guy just needs to realize that he's he's going to be unemployed soon. Um, you, you fight through the injuries, man. You know, just go out there and play. You know, if you if you're not a hundred percent, go out and play. What are you protecting yourself for? You know, you've protected yourself for three years now. 
like Richard Sherman played with one arm in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And 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 Cam Chancellor played with like an ACL injury or something and, and Earl Thomas's shoulder was coming off in that game. You know, CJ just just played through a muscle strain. You've got a slightly bad hip, get out there and take some snaps. You know, you just go and fight through it a little bit, you know, for at least one season. He's he's always banged up and um and I, again might have all the talent in the world and clearly they've been so hoping giving him every opportunity to to get right because they they like what he offers as a skill set um, but you can't trust him so I, yeah I think the depth is a bit of an issue there so you've got Carson you've got Penny you can feel good about that you hope that Homer's going to get healthy and stay healthy but then after that Procise Scarborough kind of much of a muchness Turner and and JD McKissick as nice as a player as he is for what he can provide, he's a, a third down back, isn't he, who yeah. provides a bit of spark. He's not a guy that you want to carry the ball 20 times a game. Although I, I think that with McKissick, but then I look across the field and I see what the, the Broncos have been doing with a guy like Philip Lindsay. And I think, well, shoot, if, if Philip Lindsay can succeed at being so slight and, and playing as well as he does, maybe J.D. McKissick can be that kind of guy too. Yeah, uh, I mean, McKissick, McKissick's shown little glimpses, hasn't he, when he's played? Yeah. But McKissick, to me, always seems like the, the difference, I suppose, between McKissick and Philip Lindsay is that when Philip Lindsay runs, he kind of runs and with power yeah. and, and he absorbs a tackle and bounce off and get a fish. With McKissick, you're always kind of a little bit worried for him. You kind of feel like his <laughs> mother watching him, like, take a carry because right. he, he gets hit and he kind of goes flailing around like a, like a, like a crash dummy or something when he gets hit. And, and he, his size does show up in those instances. You know, when he especially runs up the middle, you kind of worry for him. It's like watching a cornerback trying to run the ball. So um, I'm, I'm not sure whether he would be up to the physical punishment of that, but there's definitely something there. And the, the guys like him, you know, the team seem to like him. Carol and the coaches seem to like him. He's, he's definitely a favorite amongst the group. So I wouldn't be surprised if McKissick made it, but you know what his role could be next season. I, I, it's probably no more than little third down back or, you know, somebody who can come in and take some carries and provide a bit of an X factor, but not a lot more. So we talked about how the depth stood out. And I think a lot of that had to do with the depth on defense, especially and how we saw some contributions from a lot of the rookies on defense. Uh, We talked about a little bit on offense, Uh, special teams. I feel like we should talk about because that seemed to be a standout part of the Seahawks game in this first, first preseason game. You had, you know, the very first play, Shaquem Griffin coming down the field and, and getting the tackle inside the 20. Jason Myers, you know, does the short kick and keeps it out of the end zone and come up with a big play there. And it felt like on special teams when they weren't committing penalties, uh, they were making some big plays. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so, and uh, you know, I think and you had Jason Myers who kicked a a fifty-plus yard field goal. He missed the fifty-six yarder, but it was nice to see him get back out there and and make the fifty-five yarder not too long after. I think one of the big emphasis this this whole year is from Pete Carroll's been special teams. I think he said those two words in every press conference. You know, they've they've put such an emphasis on it. I I think that he's been disappointed for a long time. Yeah, that they they fixed the running game last year. They've rebuilt the offensive line. They've had to remake the defense to an extent. And the one thing that has been consistently pretty poor has been special teams. And it has cost them in some games. You know, it cost them a win in San Francisco last year. Um, it, is, it has cost them it cost them more than one game, didn't it, in the Blair Walsh year, uh, the year before, and potentially a playoff place as a consequence. And I think he's just said, enough is enough. You know, no more uncertainty and special teams. We're going to get a kicker that we believe in and we're going to invest in a kicker and they've done that rightly or wrongly. Jason Myers, they've paid him. Um, they've got a punter that, uh, that they really like. 
they've given their long snapper a four-year contract extension. <laughs> so, you know, they're really going all in on special teams. And the other thing is, is that the kick coverage, you know, they've, they've really gone after that. They've taken guys almost purely to see if they can provide that instant impact there. I think Ben Burkirvin was a pick with special teams in mind. I think Hugo Mardi was a pick with special teams in mind. Travis Homer, not just a good running back, but a, a special teams dynamo. Cody Barton can play special teams. And then you actually watch these guys, you know, there was more than one gunner sort of flying to the ball, they're flying all over the place. Shaquem Griffin made a play very early in the game on special teams. You know, it's just, there are so many players now that you look at and you think, wow, you know, that, that could be somebody who has a real impact there. And I think actually one of the toughest things they're going to do is work out who the core special teams guys are and then protect them. So there's been a lot of talk since the game that, you know, this player's going to make it, this player's going to make it. It's too early to make roster projections and stuff like that. We never one game into the preseason, but one player... It's never too early to, to make roster projections, well, Rob. <laughs> well, there's, there's one player that people assume is, is on the hot seat is Nico Thorpe. Sure. But people forget that Nico Thorpe is the special teams captain and has stayed on the roster for the last few years. Yeah because of his special teams ability. And I would actually describe Nico Thorpe, he's, he's called a cornerback. I'd call him special teams captain. Yeah, And he's almost like his secondary skill is that he plays cornerback and he provides some depth there. And I think that's how Pete Carroll views him. He says, we need this guy for special teams. It's just a bonus that he can go on and play cornerback if we need him to. And that's the importance that Carroll places on special teams. It's why I think Nico Thorpe will make this team. And it's why other players who maybe people are not expecting to make the team right now will make the team because they can provide something on special teams. That is a huge aspect of the team this year. It's going to be a huge focus. And when they put so much focus on something like this, Brandon, like the, the running game last year with, and the offensive line, when they put all the focus and all the attention and all the money into it, Pete Carroll generally gets it right. So I'm expecting the Seahawks special teams to be rated very highly next year. Well, can can Pete Carroll maybe put a focus on the run defense for the Seahawks? Because that was my <laughs> other big critique of this game. And seeing Royce Freeman break out on a third and one and rumble down the field, nearly get into the end zone, except for a safe tackle by Tedrick Thompson. Uh, the the running game early on by the Denver Broncos is starting unit. It was it was maddening to me. And it, fortunately, the defense, the positive is that they came up inside the red zone and kept the Broncos to field goals in both cases where they, they did get it down inside the red zone in that first half uh but yeah seeing it, some of these runs break out oh that was frustrating yeah and i think that was one of the reasons why they drafted lj collier because he can play stout at the line he, he was a good pass rusher at tcu but i think they what they really view him as is someone who can really hold down an edge and, and provide some quality run defense there and the signings of people like al woods are again you know i think with the idea that they're going to come in and plug up the middle so i think that that is going to be a tension for them but i think the whole defensive line is a work in progress they still need for me uh, another guy who's going to work in the middle there and provide that kind of great run defense that you're talking about and, and i think also they need a bit more pass rush so last year i was thinking college football season i'm watching defensive line all year because it was a defensive line draft this year is probably more weighted towards the receivers and the quarterbacks, but there's still a, one or two decent defensive linemen in there. And I think it's it, with the, the picks the Seahawks have got, I think they've got a chance next year to really add talent to a number of different positions. And I think the defensive line is going to be another one. As for this year, they're going to have to make it up as they go along. You know, they're going to have to hope that Jaron Reed comes back and, and reaches top form immediately. Um, and then there's opportunities. You know, Monet was, you know, Brian Monet had a good game the yeah. other day. By the, you know, I think he had a couple of bad snaps, but generally played quite well. You know, there's Al Woods in there. They really like him. They brought in Earl Mitchell, who could provide an impact for them. Jimmy Meter, I thought, was a little bit disappointing in this game. Um, but they've got some players in there who can compete for that. And obviously, we hope that Poon and Ford's going to have 
an even better year this year. So um, there's some options there, but there's not anybody that really stands out. And that's the disappointing thing in this uh, division as well, because the 49ers have got a great defensive line. The Rams have got um, Aaron Donald. And and when you're with those two teams, you kind of want to be able to go strength for strength with them. And I just wonder whether the Seahawks have got the talent on the defensive line to really cause those teams problems and get to the quarterback because both teams have got dynamic offenses. Well, Rob, it's definitely something to watch through the rest of the preseason. Going to be watching the defensive line coming up against this game in Minnesota. What as we as we head out for this episode of the show, what uh, what's your big thing that you're going to be focused on watching and and really wanting to see from the team in week two against the Vikings? I think uh, against the Vikings in particular, I want to see. A, a good start you know I think in the preseason games last year there, there was like a hot knife through butter on defense even when they were playing like the Wagners and the KJ Wrights and people like that so you know I want to see a good starting defensive series I want to see the depth show up again you know in that second half I want to see the Seahawks go on and win the game and, and look good doing so in the second half like they did against Denver um, I want to keep, I'm going to keep a close eye on how this these defensive backs working out because I think there's some real battles going on there. You know, Pete Carroll said Kalen Reed is, is perhaps at the top of the moment for the nickel position. But then I want to see, I want to have another look at Hugo Amari playing in that role. I want to see Marquis Blair coming in and having another impact game. Um, if Delano Hill can get out there, let's see if he can get somewhere close to what he was showing at the end of the year. Can Jamar Taylor make another play? Like he got the interception the other day. You know, there's a lot of players competing in the secondary. Let's see if there's some separation there. Um, I think the pass rush and obviously the defensive line that we talked about want to see more there and we want to see whether these receivers can continue to have an impact. You know, can Gary Jennings show up as he's, he has done apparently today in camp and, and show something. I want to see Jacob Hollister. I know I've got a lot of wants for this game. I want to see Jacob Hollister play. You know, there's yeah. been so much buzz around him um, and what he could potentially do this year. I'd love to see him come on and get a couple of catches first couple of series and then maybe take a seat for the rest of the game. And and the other thing I'd like to see is the linebackers. I thought the linebacker uh, depth showed really well. I thought that Cody Barton had that one mistake early on, but I thought he and Austin Calitro played really, really well early on. Shaquem Griffin looked pretty decent. You've got Ben Burkirvin. Can we see a bit more from him in this game? And and keep the competition going there because we know who's going to make this roster, but it seems like there's a real heated battle for that last spot at the linebacker position and what they can do there. So, yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to watch too. And um, I think it should be an interesting game against a good Minnesota team. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Seahawks and to see if they can take another step forward and really show us that they can be really competitive this year. Yeah, Calitro with that. How did I not mention that earlier? That fourth down hit on the running back by Calitro to break up that, that fourth down play. That was one of the highlights of the game for sure. And for me, watching this game against the Vikings, I'm actually going to be looking at some of the starters because you know how much time is Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen going to be on the field? because Trey Flowers going into year two. I'm curious to see how he continues to develop. And then Shaquille Griffin, can he bounce back from what he what we saw from him last year? And with the Vikings in particular going up against those two top, I mean, what are two top receivers in the league with Diggs and Thielen? You know, how did those guys respond in that game in those early series? So that's that's something to watch for me. Can I add one more thing? I'd like to see this in this game, DK Metcalf. Yes. <laughs> uh, when he runs downfield, the ball just be a little, uh, you know, just, just on the money. So uh, he gets his fingertips around the ball and he can actually make that big play this time instead of just being, you know, a couple of centimeters away. Because I, I, I feel that that's going to be a big thing for the Seahawks this year. So let's see a big deep play to DK Metcalf in this game. Yeah, whether it's from Russell Wilson or, or maybe Paxton Lynch, you know, he's known for being able to throw that deep ball well. So uh, definitely something to watch for sure. Well, thanks again, Rob, and hopefully we'll be talking to you more coming throughout this preseason. Anytime, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks once again to Mr. Rob Staten for coming on the show. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Staten. Check out SeahawksDraftBlog.com. 
And be sure to check out fieldgoals.com because there is plenty of content there coming out of the first preseason game against the Broncos. John Morgan takes a closer look at Jazz Ferguson in his series of The Drive. And then you have John Gilbert with the preseason snap counts for the Seahawks. We got to see Jamarco Jones playing at tackle for the entire game for the Seahawks. Elijah Nkanza also majority of the snaps, 84% of the snaps with Jermaine Effetti getting the other 16% on the right side early on in the game for the first couple drives. On the defensive side of the ball, Austin Calitro getting majority of the snaps on all but one. And guys like Brandon Jackson and Rasheem Green on the field for the majority of the game. And as John points out, Jerron Brown held out, although healthy, from this first game. So, as Rob Staten suggested, Jerron Brown a lock likely to be among the four receivers on this roster, along with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and David Moore. So check that out, fieldgoals.com. We should have an episode of the Seahawkers podcast coming out a little bit later this week as well. I am going to continue to be on the road, so lighter on shows than it has been here at Field Goals uh, for the next few days. But once I get back, we'll be back to having a little more frequency of these shows as well. And if you appreciate these shows as well as the Seahawkers podcast, you can, of course, go to getintheflock.com and support the show there. I'll be back a little bit later this week, probably do an injury recap uh, going into the game against the Vikings on Saturday. So please subscribe to the show. Look for that right here. And we'll talk to you soon. Go Hawks. 